on Stick to Football. It is Mock Draft Monday, baby. Connor Rogers and I going through all 32 picks of the first round. We're not crazy enough yet to do two rounds on podcast. But also, buddy, we got a lot of news to go through. College football, NFL, a lot has been happening. We got coaching changes. We got some other coaches that probably need changed. But also, in about five days, we have the tailgate of the century Alabama versus LSU, 8 a.m. on the quad. It's going to be free drinks, free food. We're going to have cornhole. We're going to have hugs, <laughs> koozies, and Special stickers guests. to give away. We got some kick-ass guests coming by. And, of course, me, you, of and Mel. Of course, man. There. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait. I feel like the turnout is going to be pretty overwhelming for this one. And, once again, our guest lineup, I don't want to get too crazy and give it away yet. But we have a Oh, I just tweeted serious... it. You can. <laughs> All right. Well, it's out there then. So, I mean, we're going to have Adam Kramer from Bleacher Report. We're going to have Landon Collins stopping by the tailgate, which was the big surprise guest that I've been hiding for weeks. Uh, I mean, we're going to have Jacob Hester, LSU legend. And, of course, our buddy Jim Nagy from the Senior Bowl is going to be coming as well that's four very different very awesome guests for this stick to football tailgate yeah it's gonna be a good time we kept the landing collins thing quiet uh because you know you never know in this business when like just people's schedules can fall through and you're like uh we won't let's get to game week and then we'll start talking about it but i'm very excited because we do have i think four Amazing guests. For my money, Adam Kramer is the best college football writer in America. Jacob Hester is a legend. Uh, Jim Nagy, you guys know how fond we are of him. And then we got Landon Collins repping Alabama and uh, one of the best safeties in the NFL. So it's going to be a great time. 8 a.m. on the quad. If you can make it, come out because it is going to be legendary. It's, it's such a good time. Also, our old intern Walker is going to be there. Our buddy, our original intern Adam Heisler is going to be there. It's going to be like a little bit of a stick to football reunion. So it's going to be a, a good time. Uh, for all of us, for sure. Let's jump right into the news, though. Uh, not a good time <laughs> no. for Willie Taggart. Or maybe He's making it is a lot of money. Because the buyout, the buyout for Willie Taggart is like $18 million. Florida State actually raised $20 million in private oh donations God. to fire their head coach. How bad are you at your job when people are donating uh, $20 million? This isn't Hurricane <laughs> Katrina. It's a football coach. J.J. Watt raised a third of this when his city was decimated by a hurricane. Willie Taggart so bad at his job, Florida State gets $20 million in donations in 24 hours. That, that's amazing. insane. I mean, Jets fans are raising money to fire Adam Gase right now. There's a GoFundMe for that, but it has not reached $20 million. <laughs> but listen, uh, I'm sure Willie's obviously upset about this. This job meant a lot to him. It's a shame it didn't work out, but when it comes down to it, it, it never really felt like this was the move to get Florida State back to the glory days. It just never had that kind of electrifying yep. sense around it. Florida State has barely been treading water, and that's not the kind of program they are. They're the kind of program that should be in the college football playoff talk every single season, not the will-they-make-a-bowl-game talk. That's how bad things have gotten. And when you're the head coach – it's going to fall back on you. Now, I think the biggest question a lot of people are wondering, Matt, is what kind of pull does this job have anymore and where can they go from here? Yeah, because I thought Willie Taggart was a bad hire when they made it. It felt like, oh, this is it's not like a legacy. Florida State. Hire. This is not what you would expect. Right. So I know the names that have been out there are guys like Mark Stoops, who's at Kentucky. Um, you've got I've seen PJ Fleck's name mentioned, which I actually really like Me PJ too. Fleck a lot at Minnesota. They they're having a fantastic year. He's a great head coach. But then you know, like you you kind of get into those hires like Mike Norville at Memphis. Like no disrespect to Mike Norville, Memphis has done a very good job this year. But are Mike Norville and Mark Stoops like is that where Florida State's at? Where you're not saying, let's go get a guy like Todd Monken in the NFL who the Browns are just completely misusing. His brother's the head coach at Army. I think he'd be a great college football head coach. Or why aren't you trying to look at, you know, at a PJ Fleck? Look at the mid majors of teams who are, are doing really, really good and you see awesome team building. I mean, there are so many options here. I think Matt Rule is destined for not the NFL. State. But if you're Florida State, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but that's like that's who Florida State used to go. Yeah, you're get. Right. You used to look at the best coaches in college and say, "Hey, that's our guy." Like we can go, we can get Matt Rule. Florida State is just they've fallen behind so far, and it's not like Miami's great, but 
at Florida, we, we saw lose to Georgia. Uh, that was a tough game for them. But they're, I think, I mean, they're the best team in Florida. Florida State right now is the third best team in their own state. And for the first time in my life of watching college football, that's the case. I mean, it's just, it's embarrassing. And, and hopefully they get it turned around. I know fans are saying, like, they don't have the facilities to compete. Neither does Miami. Okay, let's be honest. None of those schools in Florida are, are just, you know, dripping with facilities like you see in, in Texas and Ohio State and Oklahoma. So I, I don't really buy that excuse. I think they just got it wrong going from Jimbo Fisher to Willie Taggart. Matt, I don't even know if they're better than UCF right now. They might be the fourth well, best. Team I have in a history with UCF. Yeah, I know so. you do. <laughs> things are bad. And the good news is, like we always say, when things are really bad, hopefully they can only get better from here. I do find it fascinating because when these jobs open up, of course, the biggest name candidates get listed in possibility. My thoughts on Matt Rule are this. Matt Rule wants the NFL. Matt Rule really wanted the NFL last year, but wanted things his way in a way. Hey, this is how I think I could succeed. And the Jets weren't willing to hand him that yet. But that was very close to happening. And there's going to be a lot of jobs opening up where Matt Rule is going to get the call, whether that's the Jets again, whether that's the New York Giants, it goes on and on and on. And if those jobs aren't for him, I think he's pretty happy at Baylor right now, considering they're undefeated in the program that he's rebuilt there. So it's going to be an interesting, different list for FSU. I stand with you that I think P.J. Flex should be the guy because, in a way, is it bold and risky? Yes, but I think the last two teams that hired P.J. Flex said that, thought that, and now they're reaping the benefits from that. And one other name I'll throw out there. I, I loved this guy at App State, and now he's at Louisville, and they're playing really well. And that's Scott Satterfield. They are playing very well. I think well. he is an up-and-coming head coach candidate. I know that would be a little under the radar, and, and we were just saying, like, you're Florida State. You should be able to, to get the best of the best. I really think Satterfield is destined for a Power 5 job, a big Power 5 job. And I know that, like, right now, Louisville to Florida State, you might think that's a lateral move. But the athletes that you can get at Florida State – or it, like it's almost incomparable the type of athlete that you can get there if you're willing to dig in and do the work. So I would keep it on Scott Here, Satterfield. Here's I a wild Bruce, one for you before we close it out. If Notre Dame fires Brian Kelly, could you see them going that route? Oh yeah, absolutely. I thought you were gonna say Mike Leach because that was that was That's, my wild one. <laughs> that is always wild. why not right? <laughs> like just go crazy. Uh, I mean, at this point, if you're Florida State, yes. Roll the dice. Roll the dice. You have nothing so, to lose. Yeah, we'll be talking about this one you know, right up until it happens. But moving over to the NFL, I feel like we say this every year, but I truly mean it right now. This is the best number one pick race I can remember in quite some time, where I truly do not know who is going to get this pick. Right now, We're going to do a mock draft today, full first round, as Matt said earlier in the show. And right now, the top eight shake out like this. The Bengals... Redskins, Jets, Dolphins, Falcons, Giants, Browns, and Bucks. That's the top eight order. Now, those teams have zero to two wins, which means a <laughs> lot of shit can change. Right. Let's just get a state of the union here from you, Matt, of how this is all shaking out. Well, Cincinnati, and I've said this for months now, we didn't expect them to tank, but they're 0-8, and they're playing fourth-round pick uh, Ryan Finley, at quarterback. So That's they tanking. are effectively done. And someone asked me, I, I wish I could remember if it was on the podcast or on radio last week, someone was like, who do you think would win if Miami and Cincinnati played? It's like, I think Miami would win. Like, they're just, that linebacker core for Miami is fucking amazing. They are so much fun to watch. I think Cincinnati's the worst team in football. But like you said, crazy things could happen. Washington's gone to Dwayne Haskins, who it looks like he was told not to throw the ball down the field yesterday. Yeah, I mean, everything was good. a check down. They look terrible. The Jets lost to the Dolphins. So <laughs> there's that. I mean, you could just sit right there. That, that's that's all point. you need to know. Atlanta is reeling. They've lost six in a row. So it is a wild race. If I had to bet right now, I would say Cincinnati holds the first pick in the draft. And, you know, most likely that means that's where Tua Tagovailoa is going to go. What's interesting is, for me, right now, Miami is the fourth pick. And you look at Miami's schedule the rest of the way, they might win a couple ball games, yep. a couple more ball games, honestly. So when you look at Miami, it's like, damn, they could be a three win team. And out of that, you know, we're going to get the top quarterback and we'll run through that in, in our mock draft that we're doing in, in segments two and three. But this is why Miami traded to get all those extra draft assets. This is like when Philadelphia traded up to get Carson Wentz. They knew in advance and they were willing to make the trades to come up to Tennessee to come up to Cleveland. I think we see Miami right now. Miami would pick four, 17 and 25. Well, 17 and 25 by themselves aren't getting you very far, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see them package a four and 17, 
to try to get up there. Not that Washington would draft a quarterback, not that the Jets would draft a quarterback, but to make sure that no one else gets up there to get a Joe Burrow, to get a Justin Herbert. And we got a couple months left to see how it goes, but the Dolphins are, are taking a quarterback. And they're in a position, whether it's, let's wait and see if one of those guys falls to four, or if they feel like someone's going to jump them or someone would take a quarterback ahead of them, they have the draft capital to move up the board now. Yeah, it's fascinating the way it's broken down because it's hard to imagine the Jets and the Dolphins doing business, so the Dolphins will have to work with Washington. Like you said, you can't discount Atlanta continuing to lose. We can't discount the dysfunctional Browns continuing to lose. They lost to Denver yesterday. I mean, that's how bad things are. The Bucks want to get in this quarterback race. The Giants really need to stay in this top eight because they desperately need a franchise tackle, and there might only be one or two of them, if at all, in this draft. So the top picks in this draft right now, it's a super tight race. A lot of the teams play each other, and it's going to be really interesting when we do make all the picks in our mock draft. Moving on, actually sticking with two of the teams that were in this <laughs> conversation because both of their head coaches might be fired by the time this show comes out. Adam Gase, Freddie Kitchens, what more do you need to see? They were disastrous hires Gosh. for different reasons. We already knew what Adam Gase was coming out of Miami, but when you look at Freddie This was a giant roll of the dice. They listened to their quarterback in Baker Mayfield to make this hire. The team's not disciplined. The offense is not running even close to what it was last year. The Jets are a disaster from top to bottom. I just think, Matt, it would be a surprise at this point if either of these guys make it through the entire season. I think so. Uh, With the Jets specifically, because I know everyone wants to say, like, well, Joe Douglas and Adam Gase are friends. Doesn't matter. You and I are friends, and I, I think we've been friends a little bit longer than they have. If you were, like, say I'm the GM and you're the head coach, Connor, and you're making me look bad every week, no matter how good of friends we are, if you're putting my job at risk, I'm going to have to say, hey, buddy, like, this isn't working. It's business. It's not personal. The job's not being done. We're going to have to go different directions. And I feel like that's where we're going with this. And remember, Joe Douglas didn't hire Adam Gase. It doesn't matter if they hang out on the weekends and they're best friends. I don't think it's that close. But... The fact is, I don't think Joe Douglas went there because of Adam Gase. I think he went there because of Sam Darnold. He went there because of the money they're going to have in free agency and because of an owner that was going to be patient with a rebuild, hence the six-year contract. There so you go. I do think Adam Gase is absolutely gone here. Now, with Freddie Kitchens, I love John Dorsey, and people have listened to the show for the two and a half years it's been on know that I have a lot of respect for John. I think he's a great evaluator. Where he's gotten in trouble in the past is by sometimes trusting his instincts over his head. I think you can look at some of the moves he made in Kansas City to bring in some guys with some off-field issues, to to sign guys to contracts that they weren't worth. They got into a little bit of trouble there because of that. Now in Cleveland, you get hot and you let your emotions take control of your decisions and you let Baker Mayfield basically pick your head coach. And not only is Baker regressing, let's talk about a quarterback who's been terrible this year, but that head coach is not working. And also, investing in Greg Robinson and trusting Chris Hubbard as your bookends at offensive tackle and thinking, well, let's just trade all of our assets to get a wide receiver. Let's trade to get another pass rusher. Instead of, oh my God, our offensive line is absolutely terrible. They've misplayed their hand a little bit by thinking that Baker Mayfield's good enough to overcome bad offensive tackle play. No one is good enough to overcome bad offensive tackle play. You saw that Sunday night with Tom Brady, who's the best to ever do it. So I think the Browns, they need to reset, and John Dorsey needs to get back to doing what he's so good at. That's team building from the ground up. So I think Freddie Kitchens is gone, and I think for both teams, they can just say, you know what, we messed up. Let's just admit we did it now instead of waiting three years, and then we're really in over our heads. you got to just wipe the slate clean now. And if you're the Browns, I think it's going to be Mike McCarthy. If you're the Jets, I think you have to go to Matt Rule with a big, I'm sorry, here's $5 million a year apology. Pick your own staff. We trust and believe you. That's exactly right, Matt. And I know a lot of people will say, well, what, what can the Browns do to get Lincoln Riley up there back with Baker? I just don't see that one happening. If I'm wrong, I'll own it. I think Lincoln is very content at Oklahoma until a job like the Cowboys where you can't say no opens up. We'll see. Right. Maybe they can convince him. It would really shock me. I do think they go with the older, experienced coach route that could try to control the locker room. I don't know if I'd be a big believer in the McCarthy hire, but it's one that wouldn't shock me at all with the GM that's there. I think when you look at the Jets situation right now, Christopher Johnson made this hire. He trusted Adam Gates to the point that he listened to him to fire the front office. 
But like you said, Joe Douglas got a six-year deal for a reason. I had heard rumblings before this game that Adam Gase was going to be a one-and-done coach. When you go and lose to the Dolphins, it's the conversation shifts from are you going to be a one-and-done coach to are you going to survive your first season with that team? Yep. And, and I'm with you all the way. This conversation starts and really ends with going to get Matt Rule. He's somebody that could bring credibility and respect to this team, this program, and really turn things around. He's he's from New York. He's coached with the Giants who probably will also be interested in him. This is a really good fit that always should have happened in the first place. Yeah, it just, these are the picks, these are the hires that should have happened. And we understand why they didn't, but it's time to make amends. It's time to fix these things and and go get Matt Rule. And for Cleveland, I think Mike McCarthy is what they need. They need someone who can bring discipline and stability, not even with like, Baker, not even with Jermaine Whitehead, who you could Google what he tweeted. I'm not going to repeat any of it on this podcast. He goes off while still in uniform in the locker room. It's not about like OBJ and Jarvis refusing to comply with the you know NFL uniform standards, which are incredibly strict. There's just no discipline there. They're just letting the players run the team. That doesn't work. They need someone who can come in and, and straighten everything out there. Um, let's move on to some injuries because... Jacoby Brissett, and I will say this, Frank Reich should be coach of the year. Let's just, I'm just going to get that out of the way. Head coach of the year. Him or Mike Jacoby Tomlin. Brissett, <laughs> yeah, so, geez, Mike Tomlin. They've been, they've been great as well. And then there's Kyle Shanahan, who's doing okay, too. But Jacoby Brissett gets hurt, and the Colts almost win this game. If it wasn't for Adam Vinatieri, who's been, I don't want to tarnish to his legacy. He's probably the greatest kicker of all time. Uh, he's been terrible Awful. this year. It's cost probably should Probably should have retired o- over summer. If it wasn't for Adam Vinatieri, we'd be talking about Brian Hoyer winning a football game against the Pittsburgh Steelers, whose defense looks amazing right now. Minka Fitzpatrick has four picks since being traded from the Miami Dolphins. But Jacoby Brissett's injury really can open things up as far as the playoffs go, because that AFC South race between Indianapolis and Houston is fascinating. I mean, Indianapolis is five and three. Houston is six and three. They're right there together as far as this race goes. If Brissett misses any amount of time, you have to think that Houston can really pull away and and run away with this thing right now. Yeah, I'm with you. The question really does pivot to, can the Colts survive a couple weeks without Jacoby Brissett? Now, they play the Dolphins that are coming off their first win of the season where they're probably pretty jacked up. I still think the Colts at home will beat the Dolphins, with it, whether they have Brian Hoyer or Jacoby Brissett at quarterback. Now, that could be a close game if Brian Hoyer starts, but I think the Colts will win that game in the trenches but then you have Jacksonville and Jacksonville did not look good in London and Gardner Minshew we're going to talk about I mean did he lose his job I know that's tough to say it's like you can't even have one bad week Nick Foles is going to be back soon that's going to be an interesting game but you really need Jacoby back for when they play the Texans because that's when the battle for the division is officially on at the end of this month so interesting situation for the Colts they just keep surviving I know this is a tough loss to say you know to swallow but it's pretty amazing they were in this game to begin with yeah, and it's a sprained MCL. That news came out this morning. So he might not miss any games at all, but I think the resolve of the Colts is is really fascinating. Now, our guy Gardner Minshew did not play well yesterday. They go to London. They He struggled. I mean, no other way to put it. He played very badly against the Houston Texans. And there's been a lot of chatter over the, the 24 hours since that game ended that maybe it's time to go back to Nick Foles when he's healthy. The Gardner Minshew, maybe the shine is off. Here's what I, I would like to say about Gardner Minshew. If he had been a first-round pick, we would say about yesterday's game, that's just a bad game. He's been great. Look that's how well it. he's played. If he were a first-round pick, we would be making every excuse under the sun for this guy. Because he was a sixth-round pick, we all want to sit here and say, nah, he's not good. This is why he was a sixth-round pick. If you look at the the, the picture of Gardner Minshew, what he's done on the field this year, I still believe that you roll with him because of the contract, because how inexpensive he is for the next three years as a quarterback option. Now, that's not to say that he will be the guy, but it is way too early after one bad game in London, by the way, to say that, oh, Gardner Minshew is not good. This is what I hate about NFL coverage and what I hope to God you never get from us is this wishy-washy week-to-week coverage of football. When the NFL has to be viewed for the prism of 17 weeks, it would be like coming on here this morning and being like, God, the Patriots suck. Did you see how bad they played last night? Teams have bad games. Players have bad games. Gardner Minshew had a bad game. I don't think that says anything about the viability of him as a starting quarterback moving forward. 
I'm with you all the way. I absolutely love that rant because I think when you look at it, it's unfair. And, and let's call it like we see it. This offense isn't anything special. It's not like he's sitting back there with Sean McVay and all these weapons right. and this great offensive line. I know Leonard Fournette has had a, a really big comeback year, but what they have at wide receiver is just okay. I thought this offensive line would be a lot better. I don't think they've been great by any means necessary. I think Gardner has actually kind of mitigated the issues by his ability, his feel and movement in the pocket. So I, I, I'm with you. I would roll with this guy. I know they gave Nick Foles a lot of money. Maybe you go back to Nick Foles this year, but I would get Gardner Minshew ready to start next year and start building this team with a cheap quarterback on the contract there. You probably can move Nick Foles with how many teams need a quarterback and won't be in position to draft one. And for Jacksonville, it's an interesting decision, and it's, it's going to be scrutinized one way or the other. It really is. And like you said, it's not like he's – I like their young receivers, but it's not like he's thrown to Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham, and it's not like his offensive line is very good at all. We're going to talk about that when it comes to Mock Draft Monday. Last thing we have to touch on around the league, the Patriots finally lose. There's one unbeaten team in the NFL, the San Francisco 49ers. The Patriots lost, and it really wasn't close. Some of you and I were talking about this morning. The game never felt that close. Even when the Patriots would get within three or get within four, they played – with a lot of mistakes, it was uncharacteristic. There were fumbles, there were penalties in key moments. The Patriots looked rattled, and I think a ton of credit has to go to Lamar Jackson. It has to go to John Harbaugh. The Ravens' offensive line played an exceptionally well game yesterday, just moving the Patriots' defense at will, basically. But Lamar Jackson, he, he doesn't always get it done as a thrower. He doesn't always get it done as a runner, but his instincts, his field vision, and just the poise to make a play to not be like, oh my God, we're playing the Patriots and it really getting into his head. I thought there were moments where like the Ravens would bog down or turn the ball over and it's like, okay, is he going to respond? How is a second year quarterback going to handle the adversity of knowing Tom Brady's on the other sideline, Bill Belichick's on the other sideline, and you just, your offense made a mistake or special teams made a mistake. It didn't bother him. It was like he was just, it didn't, you would think he was playing Mitch Trubisky on the other side. It never entered Lamar Jackson's mind. It didn't seem like that he was having to face the greatest head coach and greatest quarterback of all time. And that's what I always say about this Ravens team does not fear New England. And that starts with two people, in my opinion. It starts with John Harbaugh, and it starts with a 22 year old quarterback that just is unfazed. He's unfazed. His ability to escape, his efficiency as a thrower, he's not giving away the football. He's been relatively accurate this year. The offense tailored around him has done a really just a great job to Greg Roman. Once again, this coaching staff, whether it's the defensive coordinator, whether it's from the head coach to the offensive coordinator, everyone's prepared. And like you said, Matt, the offensive line, go back and watch that film. They blew New England off the ball. Mark Ingram had plenty of momentum to get big runs going time and time again. And great for Mark Ingram because that free agent signing has been a big time hit. He's perfect for their offense. And Earl Thomas over there just brings a different attitude to the back end of the defense. The front seven is getting production out of guys that were cast offs elsewhere or late round picks. The Baltimore Ravens are one of those teams that I don't think anyone wants to run into in the postseason. I'll say it right now. You have a quarterback that you can't prepare for. You have a defense that has veteran presence and a lot of hunger and a head coach that doesn't really give a shit about any right. anyone else. That's what it comes down to. He is like yeah. the quietest or the most low-key MFer in, in football right now. It's it's crazy when you watch them and the way they rallied around this team, around this quarterback at home, it was extremely, extremely impressive. It is mock draft Monday time. That's the right. Cincinnati Bengals are on the clock, and our guy, Connor Rogers, is gonna play GM for the the odds. I'm gonna play GM for the evens. Take it away, Connor. I mean, let's not overthink this one here. I know there will be some people that are wondering if Joe Burrow can get in the conversation. Maybe he does, but right now it's to a tongue of Iloa at number one overall for the Bengals. I know they're going to take a look at Ryan Finley. I don't think he's going to change their minds on anything with this pick. That would be a big shock to me. Uh, with their young coaching staff there and Zach Taylor, they're going to get their quarterback of the future in Tua. It cannot argue with that. I think we've been saying it for months. Whoever has that number one pick, if they need a quarterback, it will be him. The only other pick that it could be would be this gentleman who the Washington Redskins picked number two overall. Chase Young's the selection here. I know they drafted Montez Sweat last year in the first round. I think as long as 
Dwayne Haskins doesn't just completely fall apart. They would go with the pass rusher here. Chase Young, one of the best defensive players I've ever scouted. This is a very, very easy pick for the Washington Redskins. It's very easy. He's the best player in this draft, and I don't care that they have Montez Sweat. Go get yourself another pass rusher. He'll be phenomenal for them. I wish he fell here to number three with the Jets, but the Jets aren't getting that lucky this time. But I'll happily take Jerry Judy. Get Sam Darnold the number one wide receiver. Hopefully we get a coaching staff in here uh, that has some idea of what they're doing and not ruining the quarterback because Sam Darnold has regressed going from Jeremy Bates to Adam Gase. Yes, the offensive line needs to be rebuilt. I don't see a player at number three that you would take over Judy in this spot. They're going to be very proactive on the trade market to fix this line. They're going to be very proactive in free agency. And guess what, Matt? They're probably going to have more than one first round pick. Yeah, I think there's a good chance for that. Number four, the Miami Dolphins, a team that has more than one first round pick. And I like I like what you're getting at. I don't know if people because they can't. If you're watching on YouTube, you get what Connor's talking about because the facial expression. <laughs> Smiles. If you're listening, you're like, huh, how are they going to have? They're going to trade Jamal Adams. That's what he's getting at, yeah. guys. All right, yes. Number four, <laughs> the Miami Dolphins have three picks. Uh, but here, they get lucky, I guess you'd call it lucky, and get a player that I believe is a franchise quarterback in Joe Burrow from LSU. Can we stop calling this man a one-year wonder? Like I, I love Peter King. He's a, a mentor of mine, an idol of mine as a sports writer. I even saw he he wrote it. Like, Joe, Joe Burrow is a one-year wonder. He's not. He's He's not a one-year wonder. Let's stop with that nonsense. The Miami Dolphins, they need a leader. They need a tough quarterback, someone who can move around a little bit but can also throw the ball down the field. I think Burrow is the pick here. I know there's been talk about offensive line. I actually don't like this offensive line class very much. With Judy off the board, there's not a skill player I would take over a quarterback. So it's Joe Burrow for me. Yeah, it's hard to disagree there. I mean, there's going to be a lot of Jets fans, and I'm not ready for this conversation yet, that are going to wonder if they need to think about taking a quarterback. I believe in Sam Darnold. I think he's been given a raw deal. He's 22 years old. We've seen flashes of brilliance from him. I mean, he was the AFC player of the week against the Cowboys. So I don't think the Burrow conversation starts for the Jets yet. But in this scenario for the Dolphins pretty good for him to fall to them at four that would be really interesting number five we've been doing this pick for weeks there's no reason to change it if the falcons are picking at five chase young is gone they're not moving on from matt ryan jerry judy's gone they're not taking a receiver anyway it's jeff okuda Get a number one shutdown corner that's got length. He's got ball skills. He's fluid. This is an easy pick for me for Atlanta. They're probably going to have a new coaching staff in there, and I think they need to prioritize the secondary right here. Yeah, I, I, that's a pick that you're going to see me make. It's either Chase Young or Jeff Cody, Exactly. They and need help just, in the if front they keep seven. losing... It's Chase Young. If they stay right around here, it's Jeff Okuda. Number six, the New York Giants. A lot of people are going to get on me and say left tackle because Nate Solder has not been good. Or, hey, even right tackle because they need help over there because Mike Rimmers has not been great either. I don't value any of the offensive tackles this early, and I, I know it could happen. Guys float up the board based on positional value. It's just not there for me. I think that Dave Gettleman, and, and again, we're talking about a guy who got criticized a lot in Carolina for not drafting offensive linemen early. I think he goes back to his roots. He drafts a linebacker. We heard Alec Ogletree's name mentioned a lot in the trade market uh, as the deadline heated up. Isaiah Simmons is perfect for what they're doing defensively, whether they want to run a 30 front or a 40 front or play nickel or play dime. This guy never has to leave the field. And that's if you're going to draft an off ball linebacker early, it damn better be a guy who never has to leave the field. That's Isaiah Simmons started as a safety moves down. Now he plays some linebacker and he's just a hybrid. But he's never going to leave the field, and he's excellent for what you want to do when you have to get to five and six DBs. But he's also, I mean, he can blitz. He can stop the run. I think Isaiah Simmons is one of the best players in this class. Yeah, that's the kind of player the Giants need. They just need an absolute playmaker for their defense that can handle a lot of different roles and and just keep stacking as they really rebuild that unit. All right, number seven here, the Cleveland Browns. This pick is probably the easiest one I'll have to make. This is where Andrew Thomas goes. <laughs> get yourself a tackle. Uh, listen, he could play really anywhere on the offense line and the Browns need help at a lot of places on the offensive line but Andrew Thomas would do wonders for their run game with Nick Chubb which just comes and goes nobody understands why and would also help Baker Mayfield in pass protection so I really like Andrew Thomas in this spot number eight the Tampa Bay Buccaneers I'm not going to go quarterback and the reason is because I've now watched Bruce Arians defend Jameis Winston too many times to think that they won't give him more time to try to acclimate in this system. I think we see Jameis probably do a two-year deal where the Bucks can say, we've seen flashes, we want a chance to develop this guy. So I think he comes back, and the Bucks would now be open to draft someone like Grant Delpit, which is where I have them going here. I would not be surprised by a Tristan Wirfs-type pick if Bruce Arians says, hey, I also 
need some help on that offensive line, but the defense needs an assist as well. I, I think Grant Delbert's perfect for what Todd Bowles does defensively. Well, look at Jamal Adams, what he used to be before Greg Williams ruined him, and that well, is what Grant Delbert will be for Todd Bowles. Uh, and you not taking Werfs here benefits me because number nine, the Broncos, they need offensive line help, and Tristan Werfs is on the board. Play him at left tackle, play him at right tackle. I don't care. You need the help. Garrett Bowles has not been any good. This pick makes way too much sense. The Broncos are in a situation where they need to truly accept re- and I know they beat the Browns and it's an exciting win, but the, Bron- the Broncos need to accept the reality that they're going to have to do a little bit of a rebuild, rebuild here in the trenches and they're probably going to have a pick in the top 10, which will benefit that. Got to go offensive line with Worfs. Yeah, get Drew Locke some help up front because they need it. Number 10, the Oakland Raiders. This is from the Chicago Bears. Never thought that would happen. This is but from it Al is. Davis. <laughs> it is. They need speed on D, on offense in the worst way. After losing Antonio Brown, we, we saw them, you know, rumored of guys like, oh, maybe Robbie Anderson. Maybe they get someone like an Emmanuel Sanders. They need speed offensively. This does it. Henry Ruggs is the fastest player in college football. If you saw Tyreek Hill catch Damian Williams on Sunday, that's the kind of speed Henry Ruggs has. I know we don't always see it in college because there's not like those huge open field runs a lot with Ruggs. Wait until the combine when he runs a legit 4-2-5 or 4-2-4. Al Davis is going to sit up in his grave and haunt Mike Mayock until he makes this pick. Henry Ruggs is perfect for Oakland, and this is the only thing their offense is missing. By the way, an offense has been played very, very well as of late. I I think also Mayock at GM, he's going to tap into those big programs like we saw last year, Clemson, Alabama, Ruggs checks all the boxes for Oakland. Yeah, I love it there. And I'm going to stick with wide receiver at number 11 for the Cardinals and go C.D. Lamb. I think this would be the perfect guy for Cliff Kingsbury's offense with Kyler Murray. I mean, listen, they know each other already, those two. This, there's already the chemistry here between Kyler and C.D. Lamb. And, and I think we've talked about this in the past before, Matt. We don't know how much they're going to value offensive line overall. Yep. I, either way, I don't really know if there's one that I want to take in this spot for that offense and the kind of offensive lineman that they need cd would be a consistent 80 catch guy in this offense for well over a thousand yards every year at a position that they need consistency and a little more youth at right now yeah larry fitzgerald might be done so that pick makes a lot of sense number 12 the detroit lions i'm going Derek brown who is a top eight player on my big board the defensive lineman from auburn not necessarily the biggest need for detroit but this screams matt patricia to me this is a very bob quinn new england type of move. Get a big guy in the middle who can not only stop the run, but he can generate a ton of pressure up the middle. I think Derek Brown is one of the biggest sleepers in the country. Like I said, top eight player for me, but he's just not getting a lot of love nationally. I think that'll change as we start to see the SEC schedule heat up in November. Derek Brown is a monster and he would be great for Detroit. Yeah, their defense, I mean, considering that's Matt Patricia's calling card, it's struggling right now. You give up 31 points to the Raiders, 26 to the Giants, 42 to the Vikings. I mean, they got to stop the bleeding here, and Derek Brown is the kind of impact player that can help with that. Number 13, the Jaguars. Talked about it earlier in the show with Gardner Minshew. Haven't loved what I've seen from a lot of this offense besides Gardner and Leonard Fournette. I'm going to go Trey Smith here. I know there's going to be health concerns and medical checks are going to be huge for him, but you watch the film, and this guy has round one talent. He played tackle as a freshman. He's dominant his guard this year and when I talk about dominating uh, there's some Quentin Nelson moments on film for this guy where he is putting people six feet under in the dirt he's moving piles he's nasty and he's doing it against teams like Alabama that's what matters here so I love Trey Smith and I think for Jacksonville this fits the identity of that offense. Yeah, Trey is going to be one of the most interesting players, if he declares, to evaluate because it, so much is going to be hinged on medicals. And and where do you play him? Do you play him at left tackle where he was really good as a freshman? Do you play him at guard where he's killing people right now? On the field. I also think the only thing I've heard about him that maybe would be a negative other medical is just conditioning. But yeah, he was he's out big. of football for a year. He is big. I think he's much bigger than the 325 he's listed at. So that'll be something to watch. Number 14, the Los Angeles Chargers. Philip Rivers is a free agent, guys. And, and I know we don't like to talk about it, but he is also getting older. We've seen quarterbacks from that draft class, Eli Manning, already be replaced. Ben Roethlisberger uh, by injury. Maybe has opened the door to Mason Rudolph. But one thing that we saw the Giants and the Steelers do is draft quarterbacks of the future. They tried to get guys in there to develop. The Chargers have not done that. Then now it's time. Even if you bring Phil back for a year or two, they need someone 
to develop as quarterback in the future. I'm going to give them Justin Herbert. You keep him on the West Coast. You match him up with a head coach in Anthony Lynn, who would be very, very good, I believe, for what Herbert can do offensively. I mean, he is a good athlete. He has a killer arm, six foot six, two hundred thirty-five pounds. The only knock on him that you hear is decision making. Even though he hasn't thrown a lot of picks this year, I think that offense uh, really sets the table for him. But then you just hear that he's not this like killer. You know, he doesn't have that just that moxie where guys are like, oh my god, I have to follow him. You know, that Baker Mayfield or, or Philip Rivers type leadership. But I think with Herbert, the skills are good enough to get him in the top 15 picks of this draft. Well, speaking of a quarterback prospect that's not entirely too different, number 15 here for the Tennessee Titans, I'm going with Jacob Eason. Big arm, big body, definitely some questions about decision-making, definitely some questions I know you've said in the past about overall maturity if he's ready to be an NFL quarterback leading the huddle. But you see the physical talent and the fastball that this guy could fit into tight windows. It is truly special. And I think for Mike Vrabel, he's going to be looking for a guy like that that can basically make any throw on the football field. Tennessee, they've gotten the most out of Ryan Tannehill after moving on from Marcus Mariota. I'm not ready to say he's their quarterback of the future right now. And even if they believe they could go into next year with him as the starter developing a guy like Eason at this value makes a ton of sense yeah with Eason my only knock on him is he doesn't play well against good teams like we haven't seen him you know against like Utah struggled against Cal a lot right he threw four touchdowns but he threw two picks and didn't I just don't think he plays that well against against good teams and another guy who we think he'll declare but he does have another year of eligibility the Oakland Raiders the last pick that they have in the first round this is their original pick I'm going back to a big program and it's Caleb on chase on from LSU a guy we're going to get to see against Alabama this weekend this will be enormous for his draft stock because he's been quiet at times but he's turned it on in big games like think about the Florida game he really turned it on going against Alex Leatherwood that is the matchup of the weekend. Can he get by this Alabama front five who is just exceptional this year? They've done a great job of protecting whether it's Tua or Mac Jones. I, I think what they have in Jedrick Willis, what they have in Alex Leatherwood, if Chason can get into the backfield after those guys, we're going to be talking about a player who's going to be a top 15 pick as long as everything checks out medically for a, a dude that missed all last season. Pick number 17 from the Miami Dolphins. This pick is actually from the Minka Fitzpatrick trade, which is looking just fine after that 96-yard interception touchdown return this weekend. But the Dolphins, they're now second pick in the first round. I'm going with Yitor Grossmatos. Now, this is the first time in our mock draft that I've had him over A.J. Epinesa. I just think the guy is a complete football player for Penn State. Super high character. He can get after the quarterback. He can stop the run. And Chris Greer, they're going to be looking for hits. They went for a really, really high floor player in Christian Wilkins last year. I think Gross Matos is going to be the same way. And now you start to have a Brian Flores rebuilt front seven with this draft. Pick. Yeah, I like this a lot. And Gross Matos, someone who has flown under the radar a little bit because we get so caught up talking about Chase Young, but he has been amazing in the Big Ten as well. Number 18, the Philadelphia Eagles, who seem content to finish 8-8 eight and eight this year. They're just like hovering around the middle of the pack. Probably going to miss out on the speed at receiver, even though I think that's a huge need for them. So I'm going to look at the defense, where I think they have, at times, completely underperformed this year. Even though there's talent back there, I'm looking at the corner position. C.J. Henderson would be a best player available situation for me right here, but also, I think, comes at a position of need. So C.J. Henderson, a physical, cocky, aggressive corner from Florida, I think he's going to be a great fit for what the Eagles do defensively and helps get them back to where they're drafting for future need. They're drafting physical, fast guys on defense. Henderson would be a really good fit for them. All right, moving on to the Carolina Panthers here. This is a team I struggle to figure out because last year during the mock drafts, we were constantly on that they need to rebuild this offensive line. They've tried. They just haven't made very good decisions to do it. <laughs> Now, I don't really love anyone available in this spot, nor do I believe that they'll use another premium asset on offensive line. So I'm going to go with the best value in this spot, and that is A.J. Epinesa. This gets you two totally different edge rushers. You have a converting speed to straight power kind of guy in Epinesa. Brian Burns on the other side, that's a bendy, twitchy, explosive off the snap kind of pass rusher. I think that duo 
would make a lot of sense for this defensive line in Carolina. They have to continue to stack the offensive line. But I just don't think you could pass on Epinesa at this spot of the draft. Yeah, and Epinesa is an interesting guy because it does seem like his stock is falling back a little bit when you talk it's to people. slowly falling. But I'll be interested to see once we get to testing if it jumps back up. Number 20, the Jacksonville Jaguars. This is from the Los Angeles Rams. I want offensive line here. I don't think they're very happy with Cam Robinson at left tackle. They're going to have to make some hard decisions, not just a quarterback, but when it comes to free agency this year. So I'm going to go with Alex Leatherwood. We talked about him a little bit earlier in the show from Alabama, a guy who started out at right tackle, which is going to remind you of people like Cam Robinson and Jonah Williams ended up a left tackle. But I, I really do like his ability. I think he's poised. He's patient. He has recovery speed. But what they have to do, if Yannick Ngakwe is gone, we might see this become a pass rusher. If Telvin Smith is never coming back. We could see this be a linebacker. There are a lot of directions that the Jags could go, but right now, I think offensive tackle is the biggest need, so I'm going to give them Leatherwood. Yeah, so they went offensive line with both of our first-round picks in this mock draft, and they should be excited about that new rebuilt SEC look between <laughs> uh, Trey Smith, right. Alex Leatherwood. They got a tackle. They Put got a both guard. On the left Leonard side and just wreck people. Leonard Fournette can run for 1,500 yards behind those guys. I really like that style of play. 21, the Dallas Cowboys. They're going to have an interesting offseason when they look at their cornerback group, but they could just draft one right here if the Jets are not making this pick. I have the Cowboys (laughs) taking Christian Fulton. It's crazy to say he's been the second-best corner on his team because true freshman Stingley has been... Maybe the best corner in the country. I don't know. It's ridiculous. But don't sleep on Fulton. And guess what? He could be going in the top 10 after this weekend. He can go out of the first round. And we get to see him against Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs this weekend down in Tuscaloosa. I'm so excited to see Derek Stingley Jr. as well. Like, oh, my God. this That matchup. going to be awesome. I'm only going to add myself. We'll save it for the Friday show. But I'm very excited for that matchup. Number 22, the Indianapolis Colts. A team, again, that could go a lot of different directions here. Because we're seeing Chris Ballard start to fill in the outer edges of his team. I'm going to go with a pass rusher who has been quiet early this year, but I feel like he's starting to turn it on. Terrell Lewis is someone I was watching two years ago and thinking this guy's going to be a top 10 pick eventually, but then injuries happen, but now he's getting healthy. You see him making monster plays for Alabama. And just like we talked about with Leatherwood and Fulton and other guys chase on Terrell Lewis has a big game against LSU. I I think we're going to see a big game against Auburn. We're going to see a big game in the SEC championship game, potentially. Terrell Lewis, if healthy, has all the traits to be a round one pass rusher and to be a very special one. I think Ballard and the Colts are smart enough to understand value from a guy who maybe has been banged up in the past, but as long as you get a clean bill of health, he looks perfect for what they want to do. And Justin Houston's you know, old guy, that's, that's not a long-term option there. I think pass rusher is a big, big need for the Colts. Yeah, I think so, too. They've also dealt with some injuries in that position group this year where they really got to reevaluate it. But like you said, Justin Houston, still a good player, but, uh, you know, he's going to be 31 years old next year and they need to add more talent up front. Minnesota Vikings, they're shockingly kind of getting run on recently. I mean, you definitely saw it this weekend with Damian Williams, Matt. I'm going to give them some defensive line help. Javon Kinlaw, this is quietly one of the bigger risers of the year. Just for what he's done for his stock, we talked about it with Jim Nagy the last time he was on the show. Kinlaw's a beast up front, an absolute beast, and he's just getting better and better. Yeah, This would be a senior pick for the Vikings rather than taking on it. I still think the ceiling, though, is there for Kinlaw, even though that he is in his senior year. So they need help up front. It's as simple as that. It's weird to say that about Minnesota because it feels like they rarely do. But right now, this is a position they probably should address. I love Javon Kinlaw. He is he's just every week he moves up my board more and more every time I get a chance to watch him play. Number 24, the Kansas City Chiefs. Hey, don't yell at us about the order. This is just where teams are ranked right now. Okay? Like I get it. The Chiefs could still be the number 2 seed in the AFC, but lay off us. This is this is based on the current standings, okay? I'm going offensive line here, and I know that might be popular in some sections of Kansas City and wildly unpopular in others. There are going to be people saying, why didn't you take Kenneth Murray? Or why didn't you take a a corner? Well, I like Kenneth Murray a lot, but I think we've seen like Anthony Hitchens and Reggie Ragland, like that crew, they're getting it done lately, especially now that the defensive line is healthy. The offensive line, on the other hand, has been absolutely terrible. Even when Eric Fisher comes back, even when uh, Laverne Tardif comes back, you need help in the middle. We've seen that at left guard. We've seen it at center. I'm going to go with Tyler Biedish from Wisconsin. He has been phenomenal this year, even as the Badgers have struggled at times. Watch those inside runs from Jonathan Taylor. You're you're going to see him consistently winning at the first and second level. I think he can play guard. He can play center. 
I would plug him in at center for Kansas City and never think about that position, at least for the next five years. Let Mahomes have that stability of, I know who's in front of me and I trust him. They don't have that right now at center for Kansas City. Yeah, it's crazy. They really do need to kind of reevaluate that group because you look at some of the hits Mahomes was taking when he was on the field. You got to protect that guy at absolutely all costs. I'm sticking with interior offensive line here. This is for the Dolphins now, the third time they're picking in this first round. Creed Humphrey. Now, my Miami, uh, they simply outplayed the Jets. They, their offense destroyed Greg Williams' defense. But if you look at the offensive line, they're still starting some backup-level players there where they're going to look to rebuild this unit, especially because they're going to have a young quarterback back there very soon that they need to protect. I think Creed Humphrey is a guy that will fit the Brian Flores identity of the bill where, hey, we want to punch you in the face. We want to run the football. I really like what I've seen from him on film this year, and I think he has a legitimate chance to sneak into the back end of round one. The fact that they lost four starters in that offensive line, and Creed Humphrey was the only dude that came back, and they really haven't seen a drop-off a play there. It shows a lot of really, things about that team. Really impressive. Number 26, the Buffalo Bills. Uh, they're going to draft a receiver in the first round, guys. It's just, it, barring a major free agency acquisition or trade this offseason, they will be drafting a receiver in the first round. T. Higgins is the best one available for me here still. Six foot four, 200 pounds. He has the frame. I think we've talked about before with Josh Allen. Not the most accurate quarterback. I would like to give him a pass catcher who has a big catch radius. For me, that's T. Higgins here. I almost went Michael Pittman Jr. from USC. That's how much I love his game. But I think Higgins is still the better overall prospect right now. Yeah, he he fits what Josh Allen needs. Really go up and win the football. Like you said, you know, have that big catch radius. The Green Bay Packers, man, what a wake-up call. That great team. They've had a great start. They simply got outplayed in every you know every aspect of the game against the Chargers over this weekend. I'm going to go Trey Adams here. I think he's a really, really good offensive tackle. He, he can run block. He could pass block. I think you know the bigger question with him was how is he going to rebound from these surgeries and from these injuries, and he just looks great. Green Bay has to get younger on the offensive line. I think Trey Adams fits the bill in this spot of the draft. Yeah, Brian Bullock is a free agent. I mean, that's something that can't be ignored. There you go. Is that they have to start thinking about getting younger and rebuilding this team with Rodgers contract. There's some guys on defense they paid last year. They're going to have to start being creative. Number 28, the Seattle Seahawks. It's a really hard team to pick for at this point because will Jadavion Clowney be back? And for me, like that's a huge issue. If Clowney's going to be back, okay, well then you can go other areas. If he's not, then I think you have to start thinking long term. Dwayne Brown has been amazing for Seattle since they acquired him via trade. He's also 34 years old. He'll be 35 when the season starts next year. I think you have to start thinking ahead about this offensive line, how well they're playing now with a good unit up front. You want to try to keep that going. So I'm going to give them Austin Jackson from USC. Struggled a little bit against Oregon on Saturday night, but I still love the athleticism here. He's one of the few left tackles in this class. When you look at his body, you're like, yep, that's a left tackle. You know, he has that long, athletic, lean, but muscular build. And you see it in his movement. He's got to probably get a little bit stronger on the inside shoulder. But I like Austin Jackson. And for Seattle, this is not an immediate need, but this is a future need. Almost went Trevon Diggs here because he's, I mean, if you've ever seen him at corner, he he's like a DK Metcalf type corner. I mean, he's just a Greek god. Chiseled. Six foot two, yep. 200 pounds, no fat. So I, I could see them going that direction here. But Austin Jackson makes the most sense. Well, speaking of Greek God, I don't know if you've seen how Kenneth Murray looks this year compared to last year, Matt, but I I mean, another guy just with an insane build. I'm putting him on the Baltimore Ravens here at 29. Listen, when you look at Murray, he could really do it all. Sideline to sideline speed, good pursuit, good IQ. The position value of linebacker gets lost a lot where he could end up being a top 25 player in this draft, and it doesn't mean he'll go in the top 25. But I think you look at Baltimore, God, the offensive line is so good. It's almost becoming a team that it's actually kind of hard to find some needs for them, as crazy it is to say. And there wasn't really a corner I wanted for them at this spot of the draft. So with Baltimore, they could honestly be one of those teams where it becomes hard to draft for them. Just keep stacking the deck in the front seven. They lost C.J. Mosley to free agency. Maybe Kenneth Murray could be that next great Ravens linebacker. I was going to take Kenneth Murray here at number 30 overall, but you stole him from me. The New Orleans, Consolation New Orleans prize. Saints. Okay, we'll take Dylan Moses, who, again, probably would have been a top 10 or 12 prospect for me before getting 
hurt this year. Everything I've heard, he's on track to be just fine. But by the time, maybe even by the time the combine comes around, he might be ready to do some drills. Moses is just a prototypical Mike linebacker who never has to leave the field like we were talking about with Isaiah Simmons. As I would say about Kenneth Murray, this is a modern linebacker class with these three guys where they're going to be able to play nickel. They're going to be able to play dime. They are your three-down linebacker, like a Tremaine Edmonds in Buffalo. I think Dylan Moses is a really special player. Only question mark would be injury right now. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's just hard to get a lot of conversation going around him because he's he's out for the year. But when it comes back to the draft, everyone's going to look at him. Maybe they'll go back and watch the tape from 2018, which we did over the summer, and go, damn, you know what? We'll take a guy like that. We feel like he's fully recovered. All right, here's my typical. Uh, you haven't heard this name in the first round of any mock draft yet, but you're getting it right here. New England has gotten nothing from the tight end position this year, and that offense needs to going forward. Hunter Bryant from Washington, good production right now. He's a great athlete. He really reminds me of Evan Ingram, yep. Matt. That's how he's built. He's just six foot two, 240 pounds. He runs like a wide receiver. He's great after the catch. You can move him around and do a lot of different things with him. I think this guy would be a star in the Patriots yeah, offense. Yeah, not the biggest guy. You know, so they're getting back to almost no. more of that H-back he's a move type tight build. End. Yeah, move tight end where you can get him all over the field. This is what they've been missing in New England for sure. Now, number 32, and it feels so good to put them here, the San Francisco 49ers. They're in a position where, depending on what happens in free agency, again, I know we're saying that a lot, but you know, guys like D. Ford, who's been a bit player, uh, he could be free after this year. Eric Armstead's a free agent. Jimmy Ward is having a breakout year. He's a free agent. So things could, could really hinge on what happens there. But as of right now, I would look at this corner class. Richard Sherman's getting older. Akella Weatherspoon has been banged up a little bit. Like I said, Jimmy Ward's a free agent. I would be all over a local guy, Paulson Adebo, right down the road at Stanford, who we're going to see in a couple weeks when we're doing the tailgate tour out there. I believe that he could be a top 20 player in this class. He has size. It led the the uh, NCAA, I believe, last year and passes defense, so you know he has ball skills. I'm a huge believer in Adebo. He's just been a little bit quiet because he is an underclassman, and I, I think he's a dude who, because it's Pac-12 and because Stanford's not good this year, he's not getting a lot of play. That's the big but one. But 6'1", 190, he fits that mold of what the Niners want at the corner position. All right, that's our mock draft. Tweet us. Let us know what you think. At Stick to Football. Follow us. Don't forget, follow us on Instagram, at Stick to Football, and check out the, the YouTube page as well. We'll take a break. We'll come back and finish this thing off with your draft on draft questions. It is draft on draft time, and if it wasn't 10, 18 in the morning, we would crack some beers, but we'll be doing plenty of that this weekend in Alabama, where you should be too. By 10, 18 a.m. Saturday morning, we will be feeling it. It'll be a good, it'll be a good morning. I think our food's due to arrive around this time, so it'd be that good. That was my next uh, question. When do we get intermission? Yeah. I need to check. I need to check and see what time I had food. To, I think the earliest possible was five hours before kickoff, so that would be 1030. Well, that'd be 930. We're eating early. What are we rolling We're with, brisket for breakfast. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Okay. Yeah, we have brisket. We have pulled pork. We have uh, a nacho bar. We have all kinds. I just went, like, what? I was pretty hungry when I did it. So I was like, oh, that sounds good. Oh, that sounds good. So, yeah, it'll be a good time. Free food, free drinks, uh, and and a lot of free hugs. All right, damn super first question. And I I want you to answer this one first, (laughs) Can Sam Darnold be saved? Well, he can. But Adam Gase uh, needs to be on the highway by the time everyone's listening to this show. I, I mean, okay, here's the positives with Sam Darnold. He's 22 years old. We've seen games where he's been phenomenal. Not just the Dallas game this year, but you go back to last year, how he played against Houston, how he played against Green Bay. He looked like a quarterback that had top five ability. But the games that he's bottomed out, which have been a lot of them recently, he doesn't let a play die. The mechanics are falling apart. And they're simply just reckless decisions. Now... The issue you have to have with it are a couple things. And Joe Douglas is going to take care of this first one. They need a new offensive line. This isn't where you're going yep. to the auto shop and you're getting an oil change and they go, oh, you know, uh, you need to change the brake pads. This is where you take the car and you give it to the dealership for whatever piece of shit amount of money they give you back because you need a whole new car. They need to go into free agency. They need to explore the trade market when they call teams and and offer Jamal Adams and whoever else it may be. And they need to go into the draft 
as a let's add to this, not let's build this. A lot of people are going into the draft and going O-line rounds one, two, three, and whatever on for the Jets. <laughs> right. I love that. It's not going to work that way. It's not going to work that way. You really need to be creative. You're going to have money to spend. You need to invest in the offensive line. And the bottom line is, Matt, they need just, honestly, better plays called. When it, Sam has made bad decisions and is responsible for some of this. But they don't get him on the move. They have guys standing on top of each other. They don't utilize Le'Veon Bell. It, it's just unbelievable how inept things have been from top to bottom. But in terms of the talent this guy has, and I know you really agree with that point. It, yeah. It's not. This isn't doomed. It just needs a lot of changes. I dressed my son up as a Ghostbuster for Halloween. I tried. Anything. I tried helping Sammy. People didn't think that was. Here's funny, what's by crazy. The way. You go back to yesterday, and after he threw the second touchdown to Ryan Griffin, that was overturned for no reason. No yep. reason. He would have had a super high completion percentage, two touchdowns, no turnovers. But once that confidence goes from a stupid turnover, everything just goes all the way downhill. And I don't think it's just Sam's confidence. I think it's the offensive line's confidence. It's confidence in the play call. And, you know, he makes the horrible decision to throw that ball up in the end zone. Oh, terrible. Unfortunately, if a Jets player catches that, it leads everything for the weekend. It goes viral on Twitter, and it goes viral on Instagram, and, and like everything. It's like, oh, my God, look at this play. Instead, it's, oh, dude, what are you doing? And it, and then it's the not picking the ball up in the end zone for the safety. It's just It just feels like there's a disconnect on this team, and there's I don't think there's a lot of discipline. I don't think there's a lot of belief in what they're doing, a lot of confidence. So, Sam, I'm not worried about Sam like I am about some of the other young quarterbacks, like Mitchell Trubisky, even like with what we're seeing with Baker. Like, Baker has time in moments, and he's not processing what he's seeing. Yep. I think with Darnold, I mean, yeah, like – it seems like he's quickening up his delivery. His footwork is not where it needs to be. A lot of that to me says, I don't trust my offensive line. So I still have hope for Sam Darnold. Like you said, he's what, 22 years old. He's got a lot of, lot of time to fix what's going on. Just needs some help. Next question from our guy, Ferris Maratha. When a certain team drafts a certain position, does your image of that player change? Like when the Steelers draft a receiver. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and not not that your image of that player changes, but you're like, oh, shit. Like uh, uh, last year when the Chiefs drafted me, Cole Hardman, we looked at each other and we're like, of course. Of yep. course they did. You know, like this is the perfect fit for him. And I think you even see that sometimes, like, you know, with quarterbacks, you see a guy goes to when you're like, oh, that's a great spot. Mahomes going to Kansas City. Oh, my God, this is a great spot. Or you see bad fits at times, too. So it can go both ways where you get really excited about a player. We used to have like, a, I don't think it ever made it on camera. but We used to joke like doing the draft, whoever the Browns took is like, oh, God, they just he's going to bust like they just ruined this guy's career. Hopefully that has changed. But I think it, it definitely affects because. Environment and situation are huge for a player's success, so you would be foolish not to factor that in. Yeah, it really does. We go through it all the time, and I think running back is a big one. There's guys that just fit in certain systems where you know the guy's going to run for a 1,000 yards. Speedy receivers is a big one, vertical threats, and I, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. It, it really does. So yeah, that's to answer the question quite simply, it, that 100% factors into things where you look at each other and you go, oh, well, if he was ever going to succeed, this is the only place where it would probably happen. Yep. So, yeah, that's something that we've talked a lot about. It would be amazing if we had time after the draft to say, these are our favorite fits. Like, these are the guys who's basically you would have ranked them higher if you'd known they could have gone to this team. So maybe maybe we'll actually get that done this year. All right, I love this username. So Coach good. O's Accent. Where would you rank John Harbaugh among the best coaches in the NFL? So I think it, we could be prisoners of the moment right now and say, oh, my God, he's a top three or four coach. But I went on a rant earlier in the show. We need to look at the forest, not just the trees. I think John's a really, really good head coach. And you can look at the Super Bowl wins. You can look at what he's done for the, the length of his time there. He's, he's a really good head coach. I don't I mean, he's not up there with Belichick for me. Obviously, he's not up there with Andy Reid for me. I still think you can look at guys like Pete Carroll. I would put Pete above him. I think as far as like the young coaches go, I'm not being a homer here. I think Kyle Shanahan's one of the best coaches in the NFL. I think John is firmly in that tier two, though, of this guy's just a really good head coach. He's a good CEO. He's a good leader. He's a good innovator. He does a great job of think about what the, the Ravens look like two years ago and think of what they look like right now. They completely flipped this team's image 
And he hasn't, like a Pete Carroll in this way, the message hasn't gotten stale. He went from a veteran team with a stale-ass quarterback and a great defense to now a young team with an exciting quarterback. And they're playing two completely different brands of football. I think that's what John's really shown that he's great at is being able to adapt and innovate and still get his message across to a different team. Yeah, I think he's a top-five coach in the NFL. I mean, right now when you look at it, for me, it would start with Bill. So the top five is some kind of order of Bill Belichick, Kyle Shanahan, Sean Payton, Sean McVay, and Harbaugh. I think that would be the five for me. You wouldn't put Pete Carroll or Andy Reid up there? Oh, man. That, I, that's like that's where I think John's probably like set in the top seven yeah. or eight, but that order could be. I put mixed him up. over Pete. I, I'll say that, and this is why I think Russell Wilson is easily one of the best quarterbacks, uh, the most underrated quarterbacks in the league for a while now. Where I mean, I thought Flacco, besides the flash and the playing Super Bowl championship, was never really good. You yeah. know, that's the thing for me with Harbaugh that he's he always gets the most out of guys, and Pete's a good coach. Pete's a good coach. Sometimes I wonder what Pete would be without Russ. And you could say that for so many guys. Andy, I take it back. Andy has to be in the top five because Andy could do it with almost anyone, right? That's what makes it so special. (laughs) Right. It's tricky. It's tough. Harbaugh's a great coach, though. I mean, he's 16. He's right now, he's 10 and six in the playoffs. He almost has a 600 winning percentage. Are they 12 and three under with Lamar? I think I want to say that number's right. Um, Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, he's been really, really good, um, John Haas. And it's crazy. I tell you this all the time. He was one loss away from being the head coach of the New York Jets. Yeah. The Jets were all in on going after him. Yeah. All in. And it would be a completely different world right now. Yeah. McCann One that I would, would like still to be live GM. <laughs> right? Like, it, it'd be. Uh, oh, oh, man. man. All right. I'm going to read this one because I'm kind of very excited for Matt's reaction. And I'm not even going to answer it. I'm just going to let Matt take it away. <laughs> Wilhelm von Stupid. <laughs> Is there a more worthless offseason addition than Frank Clark? What's the worst offseason addition that came with publicity this season or all time besides Albert Hainsworth? I don't think it got that much pub, did it? Maybe it did. I live in like the Kansas City media bubble sometimes, so it's like it got talked about a lot here. I thought he'd be really think, good. Yeah, I, I did too, and I thought he was a top five pass rusher heading into the year. He's hurt. I think that like that's yeah. the biggest key. He is hurt. It's a neck injury. And that's like not something I'm going to piss on. It's not like he hurt his thumb and he's not playing. The dude has a neck injury, so it, that seems pretty serious to me. And, and a good reason for him to not be out there. Now, in the what seven games he played before that, he had three sacks. And he had two in the Denver game right before he got hurt. So I think with Frank Clark, and I've said this a lot to people down here in the Kansas City area, we've seen now eight games. And Frank Clark was brought in to win the next 11 games. He was brought in to get you a number one or number two seed and then to make a run to and through New England to the Super Bowl. That's why you signed, traded for Frank Clark and, and gave him the money. I still think, and I know he's not going to probably end up with a double digit sack season. This is about long term what the Chiefs want to be up front with Frank Clark and That's Chris it. Jones. And then some, you can have bit pieces beside those guys. And Derek Noddy looks good. Colin Saunders looks good. Alex Okafor actually leads the team in sacks at four and a half as a um, a low-budget player. Having Frank and Chris let you fill in those gaps with draft picks and cheap guys who can be role players. So I still think the construction of this team is really, really smart. And the Chiefs right now, I mean, they're 5-3. and three. And after watching New England on Sunday night, after watching Baltimore on Sunday night, who knows what the next eight weeks is going to do to the AFC. But getting this Chiefs team healthy, then I think we can look at Frank Clark and say, okay, it was worth it. If he sacks... Lamar Jackson or Tom Brady in the AFC Championship game and gets the Chiefs to a Super Bowl, no one's going to care that he got hurt for a couple weeks in the middle of the season. It's not going to matter at all. Again, we're living too week to week when it comes to the NFL. And I think your point about him being such a key addition to the run defense is what it really came down to, where this is why they went for him instead of keeping D Ford. They want a player that could shut down the run. Which, by the way... D Ford is playing like 30% of the snaps in San Francisco. That's I mean, what he is. And they don't need him, but I that kills me when Chiefs fans are like, oh, we should have kept D Ford. Yeah. No. No, you shouldn't have because you need someone who can play 75, 80% of the snaps. D Ford's need does not allow him to do that. Man, you guys need darker shit to worry about. Over in Jetsland, like, we're just. The thing about I being wish- a. <laughs> 
I like all my best friends other than you are Chiefs fans. So I like live in their world and I I've seen the highs and lows this year. We got to fire Veach. He doesn't know what he's doing. And now they're like, oh my God, we can still be the number two seed, maybe the number one seed. It's <laughs> like they are on a roller coaster week to week because like this, they've never had Super Bowl aspirations in the in most of their lives, and they yeah. don't know what to do with it. So when they lose, the sky is falling. Fuck it, let's burn it down for next year. And when they win, it's like we're the best team ever. So they're learning. They're they're like a little baby football fan that's learning how to do it. All right, our last question of the show from Garrett Greenlee. This topic is never talked about, but in the seventh round, do teams tend to take players that are geographically located close to them and kind of hope they work out, or do they still have a strategy? at that late in the draft when seldom picks work out? So I'll say, this is a good question. Um, Very it's good. not a boilerplate question. We can't just say everyone does it this way. A reason that you'll see a team like the Denver Broncos get a Philip Lindsay, who is in their backyard, is because the sixth, and especially the seventh round, is being run more by your scouts. Like your area scouts are going to come in a lot in the seventh round and say, okay, we like this guy. They're going to be in there trying to call UDFAs to get those deals done. So they're going to be very involved in the process in the seventh round. That's why you might see more geographical guys is because the area scouts are getting involved. It also could be because the GM has seen those guys in person because they're right there in the backyard. So he's been able to make it out to those games. So it does happen, but teams that do well late in the draft and do well with their undrafted free agent signings, that's not the general manager. That's the scout. So guys ask us a lot, how can you know such and such is a good scout? You can look at the players late in the draft or undrafted that their team has got. You know, at if you're a Niners fan, there's you know, SEC scout might be the guy. Or if you're a Jets fan, it might be, you know, a, a Pac twelve scout, what they're doing late in the draft. So that's I think the seventh round more credit should be given to those area scouts, director of college yep. scouting for the job that they're doing. So it can be geographical just because of the strength of that area scout, but, but it's not so much of like, well, you know, okay, we are, we're the chiefs. Let's get a guy from Mizzou because that, you know, we'll have some fans buy some extra tickets. You don't need help selling tickets in Kansas city. You need help getting to the quarterback. So I, I don't think it's always about it. There isn't like a, a conspiracy theory to get local guys in that way. Yeah, I think local guys come more often with tryouts and sometimes UDFAs. You definitely nail it yep. with the scouts, the area scouts sign the UDFAs. Those are the guys that have the relationships with the player. Those are the guys trying to convince them to come to the team and the opportunity they'll have. The seventh round, it's interesting. It can go a couple different ways. You do see sometimes you know, teams take flyers on closer guys that they felt were priority players. But a lot of the times that really does go more to the tryout camp and bike kind of players. So... Oh, man, that was a good show and a long show. Good show, long show. We'll be back tomorrow, Connor and I, uh, doing uh, – we're fixing the Browns, so – Happy Browns fixing day. We made it to November 5th this year. Congratulations. Also, I think we're going to have to talk a lot about college because it sounds like Greg Shano is going to Rutgers, Florida State. Lane Kiffin has put out to people that he would be interested in that job. So we might be talking. It might be a college football heavy day, but we will be fixing the Browns and we will be taking your draft on draft questions. So send those in. And if you haven't already, subscribe at iTunes or Apple Podcasts now. Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your shows. And go to YouTube, Bleach Report's page, and subscribe to this playlist. We'll talk to you on Wednesday morning. 